This word trauma is thrown around a lot. It just means a wound. Just like if you get stabbed or shot, you have a scar on the outside. Well, lots of us have scars on the inside uh, from things that happen, and you can't necessarily see them. And I think it's it's important. It's just it's important to talk about this kind of thing. And that's why I contacted this woman. She goes under the name Adopted Chameleon on Instagram. And her name is Lorraine Gerald. It's spelled L-O-R-A-H, G-E-R-A-L-D, but it's pronounced Lorraine. And she was adopted. I was adopted. And so we don't exactly have a neutral or you know, objective position about this. Um, It is possible to hold two things at once. And that is that I love my mom and dad and I owe my whole life to them. At the same time, I was very harmed by being separated from my biological mother, uh, much more than the father. And whether folks are adopted or foster kids or orphans, Even if it's a perfectly legitimate reason the mother died in childbirth, um, there's, there's a trauma, there's a harm, there's a wound in separating the child, the infant, from the mother for whatever reason. It, it could be a health reason. It could be putting them in the NICU for their own health. And so I just want to keep that in mind as you hear this, that you're not hearing people who are, you know, wholesale dismissing foster care or adoption or even orphanages, it's uh, just being aware that this separation, this profound wound that occurs right as we come into this world has lifelong repercussions in terms of trauma and takes a lot of work. And Lorraine Gerald has done that work. And for that, I admire her. Back then, they just kept telling me I had an anger issue. I was really angry, and it was my fault. And uh, no one ever connected adoption or anything. This is In Her Words, a podcast from manlisting.com, featuring one man listening to the stories of real women in their own words. In Her Words, a conversation worth hearing, because every woman deserves to be heard. Hey there, and welcome to In Her Words, the podcast. I'm Stuart Watson. This week I talked to a fascinating woman, very strong woman, who's done a lot of work. Her name is Larray Gerald. It's pronounced Larray, but you can find her online at L-O-R-A-H-G-E-R-A-L-D dot com. And also on Instagram is The Adopted Chameleon. She's adopted, I'm adopted. We immediately bonded, and we got straight into it. And this is not subjective. It's two adoptees talking honest, not trying to to trash anybody, um, but just talking about what happened with us, our own experience. Also, heads up, we do mention suicide because uh, a very sad number of adoptees do uh, turn towards suicide, much greater than the general population, something to be aware of. Uh, Thank you for coming on, Larray Gerald. Where were you born? I was born in Knox County, Tennessee, uh, in the University of Tennessee Hospital. Um, It's an interesting fact that a lot of people don't know that there were such things as practice babies in the universities. Have you heard of practice babies? Never. Okay. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, Some of the universities in the home economics classes used to take babies that were put up for adoption or in foster care and use them in their classes. They would literally pass these babies around and learn how to be a mother with someone else's baby. Um, There isn't a lot of um, history about it because the colleges got rid of the information, obviously. Strange, I can't say that I was or wasn't one because the University of Tennessee deleted my files. So there is no record of my first month of life. But they apparently had practice babies at that time. Do you have your original birth certificate? I do now. I do now. Uh, How did you get it? 
I had to, uh, back in 1995, when it was made available, once the laws changed and I could actually have access to my original records, I wrote the, the Department of Health and Human Services, something like that in Tennessee. I can't remember the exact name, but I wrote to them asking if I could have my non-identifying information. And for people that aren't adopted, non-identifying information is basically them telling you your parents were this height, this weight, uh, this nationality, you know, for what they know, things like that, not their names. So I was writing to get as much information as I could. Of course, I was young in my 20s and didn't know a lot about all of this. I just wanted, you know, my records because they were mine. So I wrote them and they were asking for like $150. At that time, I was in college. I My adoptive parents were poor. I did not have the money. I had to say, what? I don't have that kind of money. You know, for my own records, I thought that was just unheard of. So I had to humiliate myself and say I'm poor and basically show them my financial records so that they would waive the fee so that I could get my own records. And the fee wasn't even waived, Stuart. They just knocked it down to $50. So I said- if you'd have been applying for a birth certificate, for a duplicate birth certificate, it would have been probably 30 bucks, right? Yes, yeah, probably tops. But these were my actual records that I was never allowed to have. It was like I was in the, you know- protective services or something and my my identity is a secret you know i'm like breaking through walls to find out my own information so once i got through that and they said yeah you don't have money and i said i told you i didn't <laughs> I, they um sent my information to me and uh someone must have been a little angel there because they sent me my original birth certificate with my mother's name on it there you go yeah. There was someone looking out for me. And did so, you uh, look up your birth mother? Back then, th this was before Facebook and social media and, you know, DNA readily available and stuff. So I had my grandparents' address because it was where she had lived. Um, my adoptive cousin happened to have her biological family in the same city of Richmond, Virginia. And she was visiting him and just a weird fluke coincidence. You know, nothing's a coincidence here, right, Stuart? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, nothing's a coincidence. She happened to find someone that just knew the family. And she went to my mother's store. My mother owned her own business. It was called the Knitting Basket in Richmond, Virginia years ago. This there, She's passed. The store's gone. It was a long time ago. But she owned this. And she would have like groups of women doing knitting. And she was like the leader of this group. And uh, anyway, I've heard many, many, many tales of my mother. And uh, she saw her and she said that she didn't even have to ask who the woman was. She knew instantly it was my mother. She said, we looked identical. She said, the only difference was that she had a little bit, tiny bit of gray hair, not much, but she said, otherwise we were twins. So um, she didn't approach her in her store because she thought, let's not do this here. But she did call later and asked if she could talk to her at an appropriate time, which they did. They spoke at a time more convenient <clears throat> And my cousin said, hey, you know, um, my cousin Lorraine was looking for you and never heard back because the state of Tennessee did a search. And all I got was the records back because they, you know, they never said they found anybody or didn't find anything. They said, it's just done. Here it is. So my cousin didn't know what had happened. So when she approached her, my mother said, I will get a restraining order if she even tries to find me. I don't want my husband or my daughters to know. So my daughters, those are my sisters she's talking about. And right. the husband she mentioned had been deceased for four years at that time. Of course, I didn't know all of this then. I found out later during reunion. My Was cousin her husband, your biological father? 
No. Uh, apparently, they started dating right after, I guess, my dad was sent off to Vietnam. Did he survive? Yes, he is in a nursing home. He is like what you would imagine many uh, vets are in a nursing home. So were you ever reunited with her or him? Did you ever meet either? I, I found him two years ago. We speak now. We have video chats because we don't live in the same state. Did you ever attempt to contact your birth mother yourself? Yes. Yes, I did. Uh, as a matter of fact, when my cousin told me that, my brain somehow just locked that away and said, well, that didn't happen. I literally lost that memory. I didn't remember that until 2020 when I called her up one day <laughs> when I was coming out of the fog in really hard ways after reunion. I said, repeat to me what you told me back in, you know, 1996, 97, whatever year it was. And she told me again. And I mean, Ooh, the floodgates came open. It was like that memory had always been there, but I just wouldn't let myself access it because the pain of it was too much to handle. So I lived in the fog. I, I acted like that never happened. And I did periodically write her a letter. And then I found her home phone number and I called and left a message on her voicemail a couple of times. Um, and she never contacted back. And each time I just said, oh, well, she didn't get the message. She didn't get the message because my mother loved me. I mean, in my mind, my mother loved me and wanted me. You know, there was just some kind of, you know, there's something going on. I had to fix it. So I just kept going. And then after DNA, <clears throat> I found a cousin, oddly enough, on my father's side. And we found out that her dad, because uh, I was related, once we got all the DNA, I was related to her dad, her brothers. We knew that we were family, family. We figured out who my dad was through her dad. And that's when I tried to contact him. And again, nothing came back. And I was like, seriously, I'm rejected by both parents. Well, I didn't find out until later. My father had had a stroke almost died. I mean, literally, they brought him back from the death. And he, for a year, was in rehab. Someone, um, his stepdaughter, um, contacted me. She found the letter and said, are you still looking? And I said, yeah. And I told her why. And she was like, oh, my God. And she was like, did everything in the world to make sure that we connected. She's a wonderful person. And um yeah, we did DNA and I found out, yeah, it was my dad. I do have a sister on his side, one, and I met her and him. I'm going to try to get you to articulate something that people who are not adopted ask because they cannot understand. There's a different answer for every person. Why was it important for Larray to know who her biological parents were and to reunite with them to me that just was human nature i mean i just always wanted to know i always as a child felt my family i literally felt like i lived a life parallel to them and they were like behind a veil that i just couldn't get to I mean, I had such a strong connection to them. It was biology. It's DNA. It's heritage. It's human development. This isn't a mystery to a lot of people. Some people, I think it's too painful. Your mind will protect you from pain and trauma. Um, and I just, as a kid, knew that they were there. I knew that they were there. I could feel them. And just always wanted to know who they were because they were part of me. My adoptive parents loved me, but we were nothing alike. I was a same race, domestic, closed adoption, baby scoop era adoptee. Um, but so people thought that was perfect. You know, same race, domestic, it's perfect, but it's For not. For people who have never heard that phrase, the baby scoop era, can you explain that? 
Mm-mm. Okay, yeah, the baby scoop era. Uh, well, it's a crime against humanity, and it's happened in many countries. It's a time right after World War II until 1970, maybe early mid-70s, where there were about 4 million babies put up for adoption. This was the blank slate era. This was closed adoption. You just, a baby needs a home. You just take a baby, give a baby. Uh, there were lots of forced adoptions during this time too. Uh, this was the time when women couldn't have credit cards in the United States without their husbands or, you know, signing or their fathers or somebody. They didn't have a lot of rights. Uh, so a lot of women, when they were unwed or whatever situation, uh, their families, their church, their society would shun them or forcefully take the babies, boarding houses were during this time, the indigenous boarding houses. There's a lot of history on this. Um, Australia apologized for their baby scoop era like 11 years ago. The UK's apologized, Can, uh, Canada, Canada, I believe. Uh, but uh, the, the United States is basically trying to recreate this now. But it's, it's honestly, a time where they didn't have any regard for the infant and human development and trauma. Well, there's a huge, huge pushback uh, mm -hmm. to the U.S. Yes. Um, and I could drone on, but you'd be better. You are more articulate uh, <laughs> than I. Uh, Lorraine, what is the pushback in your experience? Uh, because a lot of people, uh, and I'm just going to put it bluntly, they would, they have... A desire for a baby so much and this blank slate has been droned on by the adoption industry which is a 20 billion dollar a year industry that has done great marketing campaigns to make people believe this uh that they can just take a baby and it's fine um human development so you pick a child up from <laughs> vietnam korea china south america a baby Africa, box and you have a little fiction and the fiction says yeah this child will have this horrible 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 life and maybe that's mm -hmm. true but will they'll be better off in kansas right with a white family but with a white christian family better. typically yeah <laughs> a white christian family with a right. man and a woman right yes that's the that's the idyllic picture and that's what everybody doesn't understand, that it is rooted in a lot of racism and ableisms and all these things. It goes way back. Adoption's only been around 100 years, too. People go, well, what are we going to do with all the orphans when adoption isn't around? In the United States, we're going to talk about the United States. We don't have orphanages. For every baby relinquished, there are about 30 to 40 hopeful adoptive parents for one baby. Well, less so, so business. With, le less so with foster kids. I mean, the foster kids yes. are and out there sleeping on the floor. Yeah, fosters for reunification. I mean, they pay strangers to take care of the children instead of trying to help the family stay together and build the necessary tools that the parents need to keep the children together. If that money well, went to that, reunification would be almost 100%. Well, when you start to talk and I start to talk, we start getting excited and our voices start going up and I start crying <laughs> and I, I start and it's not a good look on me. And I and, think you look great. And, and, and I said, well, I hadn't started blubbering yet. And <laughs> and and I start getting mad because um, it is personal. Mm -hmm, um, yes. It's wired into me. And so, you know, let's just start with. I start with a real non-judgmental thing, and that is if you have to remove a child from its biological mother for perfectly good reasons, the mother's dead. She died during childbirth. Oh, yeah. Um, the child can grow to be an old, fat, gray-haired man like me, and I will still be affected by that till the day I die. It, 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 it is like being born without legs. Um, 
I am impacted by this today. And people have a hard time. Therapists <laughs> have a hard time understanding this. And I say, well, you may not understand it, but there are parts of me that will never develop because I did not have my little fat mouth on my mother's breast because I did not lie on her chest. Because I never looked into her eyes. There are switches that will never flip. Right. How do you try to explain that this is not just, I imagine you get the, now, Lorraine, honey, <laughs> calm, calm down. I'm going to need you to calm down. How do you not go ballistic when you hear that? Now, Lorraine, I'm sure that's true for you, but it was wonderful for for our family, it was just wonderful. I've never heard that. That was such a blessing, Larray. God, and, just and it is for child. them. And it, it is, is for them. It's a blessing for the people that get the baby. But here's the thing that I'm trying so hard for them to understand. I'm not blaming them or calling them bad people for wanting yeah. a baby. That's not what I'm saying. But the baby, this is human development. This is understanding trauma. And I'm a trauma-informed yoga instructor. I had to understand the nervous system and human development. I've had to train and understand this. You can't take that little baby and say, oh, guess what? These are your new parents that love you. The baby only knows the person that gave birth to them, their mother. They bonded. And that mother is the sympathetic nervous system for the baby when the baby is born. And the baby, like you said, needs the eye contact, the teat, the oxytocin, the comforting of the mother. That is the most important time. And they literally now sometimes snatch the baby out of the womb and hand it to a stranger. And that stranger could be a wonderful person. I am not judging that stranger. But the baby is being traumatized for the wants of others. That's what they have to understand. Now, is that baby going to have to go to that stranger or not? I'm not here telling you. <laughs> what's going to be done, but you do have to understand what's going to happen when that happens. So birth mothers really need to think about this and people that are adopting infants, and I'm talking about babies, need to think about this because that child will need help. Eventually, something is going to happen and children really don't know how to talk about this. I didn't. I mean, what was I going to say to my adopted parents? Hey, I think about my other family all the time. I mean, that would have been offensive to them. I couldn't. Yeah, my, I couldn't my adopted that. sister, my adopted sister and I say, why didn't we talk about this with each other? We were both adopted. Well, we didn't know. Right. No, we were we were kids. Right. And we're told, you know, how special and chosen and all this other bullshit and, you know, it's lies and fairy tales, but children know. Children are a lot smarter than we ever give them credit for. And the blank slate, the infant, that was done by Georgia Tan, and she was a child trafficker. The adoption industry used that for years to make adoption palatable, but they were making a profit and it's unregulated. I mean, you can't rehome an animal on social media, but you can a child. And people aren't up in arms about this. I'm just like, and then they ask me what kind of human rights violations are going on. And I'm like, I'm literally telling you, you can rehome children. There are black market adoptions. Some adoptees can get birth certificates. Some can't. Some got kicked out of the country. I mean, it's a human rights violation when you can't have your own information, when it is withheld from you, your heritage. That's when not I, for the I child. To, <laughs> the way I try to explain this is, imagine if you went to your doctor and said, I need my shot record. I need my health record. And they said, no. Right. You're not allowed. What do you mean I'm not allowed? It's my record. It was my health. Sorry. 
this is for your own good. This is for mm-hmm. the protection of the whole healthcare system that That's you're right. not allowed your record. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's a reason that your birth certificate and your death certificate are held by the Department of Health. <laughs> so this is your health. But you're not allowed. <laughs> right. It's What's it, wrong it, with this picture? I know. And you get, as an adoptee, we get pushback for that. And it's like, you all have never had to deal with this ever. And speaking of doctors, isn't it fun going to the doctor going, well, I don't know. I don't have any health history. And every time they ask you over and over and over again, do you have this? Do you have that? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't have any health history. And I needed it because I carried the BRCA gene. My birth mother had breast cancer twice and never told me. Both of my sisters had it. They never told me. No one told me. That should have been a crime. Did you have breast cancer? No, but I've had issues all of my life. I won't go into all my health breast issues on this, but, but I've had literally issues all of my life with it. All of my female things have been wrong, and I needed that information. Lorraine, how old were you when you really started this quest? In 1995, I asked for my original. So I was in my 20s when I was allowed. I had wanted it prior to that, but I wasn't allowed. It was against the law for me to have things. So as soon as I was allowed... I did get that information and I did reach out through the years. And every time when I didn't hear back, I kept saying, oh, she didn't get it. And then it would take me a few years to get, you know, courage enough to go back in again. That's another thing that people don't get when they're trying to search for when adoptees are searching. I mean, you have to lie to yourself and it takes a lot of courage to go reaching out. And a lot of this time was pre-social media. So once now, once DNA back in 2016, I took the DNA and that's when I found my cousin and started trying to find my dad. And I found my sisters on my mom's side in 2019 because I found my mother's obituary and I found my sister's names and I contacted them and then we met. And that's how I know about my mom and stuff. Um, One of them I have a relationship with, and the other one rejected me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it works that way a lot. Yeah. Oh, and I found out that my grandmother knew in the 90s that I was looking, and she never looked either. So it was my grandmother, my mother, and my sister. Three generations of females that straight up went, nope. Yeah. Yeah, my therapist has gets paid. <laughs> my therapist gets paid. Oh my, I have How a good. How old therapist. were you when you went to therapy? Um, well, I I attempted suicide in my twenties, um, and I was forced into therapy. And back then, they just kept telling me I had an anger issue. I was really angry, and it was my fault. And uh, no one ever connected adoption or anything. So as soon as I was not, when, as soon as I got away from therapy, I never went back because it made it worse. I was so much angrier after my initial therapy and everything that I was, I swore I'd never step in a therapist office ever again. I hated him with a passion. And it wasn't until reunion that I went, oh, I'm going to have to rethink this. Because I can't do this alone. And I went through um, some really bad therapists and I had a really good one. And then I had to switch and I've got a really good one again now. Uh, They have to be trauma informed and they have to be adoptee competent. There you go. Now you're preaching my language. Preach it, sister. (laughs) Have to be. And the others weren't because I was basically teaching them about trauma and adoption. After we'd get done, I was like, they should have paid me for that because I was telling them books to read. (laughs) They didn't even know what the body keeps the score is the book. I was like, come on, you can't help me with trauma. That's the Bible. (laughs) I was like, if you haven't even read that, I was like, no, I'm not paying you anymore. You need to pay me. (laughs) What I tell people is, Adoptee, orphan, or foster kid, they all have the same. It's all the same. It's whenever a child is separated from the biological 
mother primarily, but mother and father. Surrogates and donor conceived will say the same thing. I've talked to many of them and they're, they're, they're the same. And I'm like, and kids who, um, kids who go to the NICU, kids who are separated from the mother for weeks or months of the first of their life for their own benefit and kids whose biological mothers die. Yes. Uh, Yes. And so it's the separation. People focus on, oh, well, orphanages are bad or the foster system is bad or adoption is bad. No, it's the separation. It's It's the relinquishment, the separation, that disconnect. Yes. Yeah. It's not, we're not, you know, waging war on this. You know, that's all triage. Let's go back and talk about the original, the primal wound, as they call it. Yes. And and that's exactly it. That's what I try to explain to people that it is that. And I'm so glad that you brought up the NICU because there haven't been studies done on adoptees for a reason. Like I said, it's a $20 billion a year industry and they have lobbyists and every politician on both sides has adoptees in their family. But the studies that have been done have been done on NICU babies. And those studies showed that the babies were traumatized by being separated from the mother. It was for their benefit to keep them alive and to help them, but it still traumatized them. Another study that was done was called Operation Pied Piper. Have you heard of that one? No. Okay. Well, that was when um, during a World War II in England, they took a lot of the children out into the country away from the city where it was being bombed for their own benefit to help them. Some children stayed with their families in the cities when they were being bombed. The children, when that were brought back, they found out that the children that had been separated were more traumatized than the children that actually saw war. Wow. Yes. Operation Pied Piper. Wow. And they've known that for that many years. And there's Bowlby, there's Harlow's Monkey. There's a lot of studies. They haven't connected to adoption, but they are there. When it is entirely necessary, it is best that the adopting families understand you are essentially getting a special needs child. Yes. With a discrete set of needs. Yeah. And you have to be aware of that. And this is not anything you've done wrong. Correct. But if you are not prepared for a child with discrete special needs, then you don't need to be adopting. If you think you're getting a whole baby, then you're being misled. Um, And that's the adoption industry. (laughs) Right. And we all need access to our heritage. All of us. And, uh, well, the adoption agency, they, they, like you said, the special needs, they don't want people to, to know that, but they do have price lists for children. And they, the most expensive baby is a healthy white male baby. Here's a, a very well kept secret. <laughs> um, suicide, self destruction. And um, overdose death. In the demographics, they overlap significantly. And white males are off the charts more likely to die of overdoses and self-harm, suicide. Right. So if... White males are the top of the food chain. Why are they taking themselves out? It's a disservice Um, that society has done to white males to put them in that position of them not being able to talk about it. Amen. You can (laughs) preach that too, sister. Mm -hmm. But when you first started talking, Lorraine, I have to tell you, honestly, I was sitting here picking at my cuticles. (laughs) I cannot have this discussion with you, even on Zoom, without it tagging all these parts of my my core being. Yeah. It really is, to this day at age 65. I'm so much older than you, Lorraine. 
57. I'm going to be 58 in January. So we're not. Well, that happy birthday. I'm <laughs> Lorraine. I just have one thing I need to say to you. I am so glad and the world benefits from you not taking yourself out in your 20s. That would have been a tragedy. Well, thank you. And that's something that, like we were talking about, adoptees are four times more likely to attempt. And I, most of them I know have tried it. And that's something that people don't get. They, you know, again, when I tried it, people were like, well, she's just angry. You know, she's just a 20 year old. She's just having her normal problems. And people still, when I talk about adoption trauma now, people still tell me, well, everybody's got trauma. It wasn't the adoption. It was just, you know, your parents did it or something or your biology. That's the thing. It's the adoptive parents. If there's something wrong, well, it came from the biology. And <laughs> What? You know, it they it's that weird balance, you know, it can't be this, it has to be that. So were the biology but the birth mother was a saint because she gave me this gift. Oh god, I hate that word. Babies aren't gifts to be given. Uh, uh, uh. Anyway, but so was the birth mother a saint or was that bad biology? You know, this this balance we have to carry our whole entire lives. And my mother, my adopted mother, I know she didn't mean these things to come out the way she'd say, but she'd tell me, I prayed every day that your mother didn't change her mind. What? Who was that for? It wasn't for me. That's things yeah. that we have to carry with us. Or my favorite, God gave you to us. So God made my mother get rid of me so you could have me? Who are the hell are you praying to? Because that wasn't for me. Yeah, that, this is all. God hated is, me as a kid. This this narrative comes at a great cost. Yes. And the people yeah. who pay that cost, I'm not saying that the the biological mother is not terribly scarred and traumatized, but the but the primary trauma is is with the child, is with the grown child. And in the power dynamic, the child has no power. Right. But then when the children grow up, they ain't got that much power either. Yeah. I mean, you walk the halls of Congress or, or your state legislature and... Uh, uh, yeah, I know who has the most power in that dynamic. It's the folks with the money. That's right. What well, we yes. used to say, follow the dollar. That's right. And that's why adoption is unregulated in a $20 billion a year industry, which I'm going to keep repeating because that's what people don't understand. They think, well, no, it's saving the baby. No, it's babies for profit. It is babies for profit. <laughs> it is an industry for people who find themselves in the same situation as you and I did. What was most helpful for your mental health as an adult? That's an easy one. Finding other adult adoptees to talk to because they were the only people that knew what the hell was going on. Everybody else yeah. is clueless. <laughs> How did you find those people? Social media. <laughs> I found the private groups, the private groups. And I first went in there four or five years ago. And um, there were a few adoptees speaking out, a handful at the time. And I just sat and listened and watched. And then I eventually got brave enough to start speaking out. So I listened and I learned and I was like, and it was amazing because people would say things and I'd be like, oh my God, I feel the same way. Oh my God, I feel the same way. Oh my God, I feel the same way. And it was over and over. And I thought I was the only one. I was that chameleon, that alien, you know, that nobody felt like I was alone. And that's the thing my therapist always reminds me of. She goes, that's the problem is children feel like they're alone. And there's no one else that feels like them. And then we're adults and we find these people and we're like, oh, my God, all these people feel just like I do. I have a whole community. 
And then you feel safe and seen and heard. And all of a sudden, you're not carrying that weight alone because we heal in community. Lorraine, how do you respond to people who, many of them adoptees, who say, you're just being a victim. You guys are just sitting around being victims and just blaming everybody. Why don't you just say thank you to your adopted parents? Why you got to be such a bitter, angry, vindictive woman? Well, the thing of it is, is talking about your trauma takes great strength. I mean, coming to the realization that you need help takes great strength. Doing your internal work takes great strength. Just finding your parts inside of you and understanding where anger comes from takes great strength. So telling your story and being vulnerable is not victimhood. That's strength because you're saying, hey, this happened to me and I'm letting y'all know that I survived this. And I'm not saying that my adoptive parents intentionally harmed me, but they were lied to also because they didn't know. They weren't told. I don't blame them at all. <laughs> we had a pretty okay relationship for people that had no nothing in common. I mean, we made it work. You know, it was like an arranged marriage. I made it work until they were gone. And then I got to be me. Uh, my dad died in 1999. My mom died in 2007. After that, I kind of went through some years of self-discovery. And then 2016, I came out of what I call the human fog. And then 2019, I came out of the adoptee fog. And then when what I learned, I help others now and I teach that. There's this concept of what they call the wounded healer. Um, it strikes me that through your trauma-informed yoga and other practices that you are probably able to reach people, not just adoptees. Yeah, because trauma at the root works the nervous system. Your autonomic nervous system automatically does things. That's why it's called autonomic nervous system, right? Your body's going to do things. When you're afraid, your sympathetic nervous system hits all the buttons and you go, oh, am I going to fight, flight, free? What am I going to do here? You know, that's just your body doing these things. So yes, I take trauma and help people through yoga therapy. So I teach people that the root is trauma. It can be any kind of trauma. Uh, I do reach mostly adoptees because I talk to a lot of adoptees, but not everyone in my group is an adoptee. Absolutely not. And there's such a thing as rewiring it. Yes. Rewiring the nervous system. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing in yoga therapy. Every time we of, practice. Of recognizing when it is triggered and finding ways to rewire it. The whole business about what is it called polyvagal yes polyvagal theory i teach that too when i hear this voice when this person says this yes it takes me all the way back to being a little kid yes exactly um that anger that you're talking about that uh, a lot of adoptees get called angry adoptees well the first time that I felt proud of that was when my therapist goes, I, I was talking about, I go, people always tell me I'm so angry. I'm so angry. And she goes, well, that's a normal response to what happened to you. And she just gave me that kind of dull look. And I looked at her and I went, what? And she goes, that's the normal response. Yeah. Anger is a normal response. And I was just like, oh my God, you mean I'm allowed to feel angry for something that happened? And she's like, yeah, that's that's a normal response. She goes, if you didn't feel angry, I'd be a little bit more worried. And I was like, it felt like somebody took a weight off my shoulders. And all of a sudden I was free. Because here's a person who is not going to shame you for that. That's right. And they're not going to say, if you're angry, there's something bad and wrong about you. You need to right. take that away from here. Yeah. Anger is normal. Saying, Look around the world. There's a lot of things we should be angry about. <laughs> I'm not saying we have to be angry at people. 
But anger is an emotion that we feel and all emotions are, are part of us. We, we aren't our feelings, but we experience our feelings. Yeah, I had a therapist who did, gave me the great gift of saying, it's okay to be grieving. It is not okay to be stuck in grief all the time. Right. If you can't get out of bed every day, yeah. you think there's no point to life, that's called depression and right. suicidality. And we need to address that. And that's um, the spirals a lot of adoptees hit is those depression and suicidal ideation. I've had them all my life. If you're putting your arm around a younger you, what do you tell her? Um, I go find little Lorraine and I tell her that she was a badass and she did a really good job. <laughs> she survived <laughs> and she knew she was right the whole time, the whole time. I'm going to tear up on this one because <laughs> she knew and people were trying to tell her that she was wrong. <laughs> but and it's OK. Because I tell her that we made it and we found everybody. We did all the things that she wanted to do. <laughs> and she did good. Because now she helps other people. Just be because nobody helped her the way she needed to be helped. She's helping others now. Did you ever become a mom? No, I never wanted kids. I always thought something was wrong with me. And I didn't want to pass um, it on. <laughs> Oddly enough, the sister that doesn't talk to me, she never had kids either. But there is a part of you that is mom-like, that is yeah. nurturing, that is oh, yeah. the teacher, the giver, the sister. That part was not always there. How do you give yourself grace or give yourself a hug so that you have your gas tank full to be able to go and minister to nurture these other participants in your, your yoga practice? That's a good question because um, therapists and stuff, they and any kind of people that help anybody else, they need helpers too. <laughs> there are times that I'll go into my group, the Adopted Chameleons, and, and I can talk to other adoptees about things in our private little group. Um, I also take time off. If there are days that I just can't be around the social media stuff, I just don't. Um, I spend time in nature. I also like to play a lot. I do art. I have a spirograph. I have a light bright. <laughs> things from my childhood that made me happy. I do them now because those things were awesome then and they're still awesome. So we should play more, <laughs> be around animals. Um, I just kind of slow down too sometimes. Just take that pause. I teach that in my yoga classes, taking a pause, just stopping. Just don't do anything. Just stop and just be for a moment. Take a breath. That's good stuff. Watch birds. I like birds. Birds. I, I have hummingbird feeders outside my windows in the summer. I just sit there and stare at them. Butterflies. I have plants that draw the butterflies in. <laughs> do what you do. What makes you feel good. And enjoy it. Take the time to actually enjoy it. Look for those glimmer moments, too. The cool breeze. You know, you touch something soft and your hand goes, oh, that's slowing down and being in the moment. That's mindfulness. That's where your nervous system relaxes. That's where you find who you truly are. Away from screens. Yeah, exactly. They're necessary and they're unnecessary. <laughs> I have heard people wiser than me say silence is the language of God. Yes. Yes. Just listen. If you and I got struck by lightning and the only thing that survived was this recording of our voices, what is your legacy? Mm, that's a good one. Well, I hope I made people feel seen and heard. Because 
I think that's important. It's about the most important thing right there with food right. and water. Yeah. I just want them to know that even if it, even if I didn't necessarily agree that I was sat there and listened. That I would basic just. Basic sign just, of human respect. Right. And if they told me they were in pain, I gave them the space that they needed. That's it. Well, Ray, God bless you for your work. <laughs> Thank you for the work you do. Thank you, Stuart, for what you do. And thanks for listening. I enjoyed our conversation. I'd, I'd talk to you anytime. Thank you, Larray. I appreciate you, and I acknowledge all the work you've done, and I applaud it. You can find Larray as The Adopted Chameleon on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Patreon, and Pinterest. All over the place. And she's done a lot of podcasts. And I like to think that we bond over these issues, that we, we're in sync. So thank you, Lorraine. It's important stuff. In Her Words is a production of the Queen City Podcast Network in cooperation with Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative, Rachel Clapp Miller and Roshonda Pratt are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins & Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. That's me. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and take a moment to rate and review. It really helps others find us. If you love us, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening. One word, no spaces. A small investment makes a big difference in lifting up the voices of women. A huge shout out and thank you to everyone who has supported Man Listening from the very beginning at manlistening.com, In Her Words, the podcast, and now Voice Locket. Voice Locket, my business. Doing another one next week. A lot of fun. Check it out, voicelocket.com. Thanks so much. Thank you for your support. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks so much.